Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome back to our Get Cynical mini-season on John Green. And boy, what a movie we have to talk about today. Um, I, you know, there are episodes that Esther and I do that it, it feels like we're discovering a lost film. Like, it, it, it feels like we have uncovered, like, the missing cut of the Magnificent Amberson somewhere in the fucking jungle in Brazil. Like it, it, it's films that I don't think anyone else has seen or heard of before we watched it. Shadow in the Cloud, that was one of those. Was very glad we got to talk about that. And um, a lot of the YouTube ones, a lot of the YouTube ones felt like that. But this one, I mean, whew. my friend uh, Funkel, he once described the movie "It's a Mad, 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 Mad World" as a quote documentary uh, documentary of a civilization that no longer exists and that is how i would describe let it snow the omnibus film that was like one eight hundredth written by john green one third i mean we don't know i mean i don't know in terms of page count how the book is, is divided up and how much was done by him versus how much was done by maureen johnson and lauren miracle um <laughs> all right lauren miracle uh lauren both, miracle. both both ya authors um in case you yeah. couldn't tell and natasha beautiful <laughs> L- lauren miracle is known for her internet girls series uh including the books ttyl ttfn late her gator bff and yolo <laughs> all right folks we found a new julia vickerman let's go <laughs> <laughs> Yolo um, was written uh, five years after the rest of these stopped being written, so you could tell she was like, oh, "It's my moment again. I have a chance." <laughs> you wanted to, she wanted to check in with the internet girls at a yeah. stage of their life. <laughs> might have to t- we might have to do a bonus episode on the internet girls. I want to I want to know what they're cooking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's up with them? But let it snow. Okay, so. I, I watched this film somewhat blind. I, I was, you know, I, I, I wish I hadn't seen this because when I queued up the film and started watching it, I had to check like eight times that it was actually the correct movie and it wasn't just some like algorithmically generated direct-to-DVD movie from Hallmark or whatever. Yeah, but I, me and Esther had to check that like the movie had started playing and it's, this wasn't like, wait, does Netflix have ads now? Is this just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and I realized that this was like a... Um, this was originally like an omnibus book. Um, yeah. It was the the young adult uh, world's answer to shortcuts. Um <laughs> And, uh, you know, it, this movie really could have taken a page out of Shortcut's book because it would have been a lot better if one of these characters got killed by a rock or something. But, <laughs> um, no, uh, it was only one third written by John Green. Um, it was a Christmas themed story written by three YA authors. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other two authors, um, as we as we discussed, um, Lauren Miracle. You didn't tell me her name was spelled with a Y. You didn't fucking tell me that part. What? The- <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that until like we sat down to record. I didn't. I did not look at the um, <laughs> at the names of the other. Authors. That is like the final boss of white trash naming. Oh my god. 
Maureen, and Ma- Maureen Johnson's first book was uh, The Key to the Golden Firebird, which is, I'm pretty sure, the name that, like, Esther slowly bullshitted to, like, make fun of YA <laughs> novels when you were talking about, like, um, yeah. <laughs> Lindsay Ellis. She also did yeah. 13 Little Tale- Blue Envelopes. Tales from the Shadow Hunter Academy. The, 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 none of these are real. <laughs> <laughs> the name of the star. <laughs> These are these are like things where like these are designed as uh just like scams for like thirteen year old girls where like you have to pay an increasing sum to like access each new page. Okay, okay, okay. None of you none of you look at her page and tell me okay. which one of these which one of these is a not a real book. Uh-huh. Um The Vanishing Stare. Uh-huh. The The Box in the Woods, uh the hand on the wall. Which one of those is fake? It definitely sounded like you were bullshitting the hand on the wall, so I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> um, yeah. All three of those are real, and they are all from the same series. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Oh, man. <laughs> they are from the Truly Devious series. Truly Devious. <laughs> Most recent entry is called Nine Liars. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! I'm, I'm looking okay. to recruit eight more liars for my new crew. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, um, the uh, the original book, um, you know, it's a it's a trill like it's three stories that interconnect and they all revolve around young love at the holidays and Christmas time. Um, it was published in October of 2008, which seems like bad marketing, and it is the runt of the litter in the John Green. Um, uh, bibliography, so to speak. But uh, something that I did not know about this movie. Okay, so I w- did not know how they managed to fit uh, three stories. Like, you know, three short stories, but the book's 352 pages. Three <laughs> stories, like three novellas into a 90-minute movie that's like 87 minutes before credits roll. Yeah, And the answer is they didn't um, because... The two stories written by Lauren Miracle and Maureen Johnson have been just mangled beyond belief. They don't even slightly resemble the uh, stories like that show up in the movie. They they don't like huh. barely any re- resemblance whatsoever. I think some of the names are the same, yeah. and there's like the pet pig is there, but like just little details. It's very superficial. And as the a huge jo- fan of the original book, you were pissed. Yeah, I was so mad, dude. Oh my god, I was on I was on the the fucking fandom menace subreddit for, for fucking <laughs> let it snow three holiday romances. Um, yeah, no. So the Jubilee Express and the patron scene of pigs, uh, barely like, barely even fucking like resemble like that that uh that cool uh that cool singer. Which uh you know how on earth did they get Stuart Bale for this movie? How did they get that guy? <laughs> I would I would love to talk about Stuart Bale. Uh, yeah. Well, there play, is no play. there is no uh, Stuart Bale in uh, the Jubilee Express. There is a character named Stuart, but I don't believe he is a famous singer. Uh, That's so weird because like that whole story about like the girl who can't decide she de- can't has to decide if she goes to Columbia or not because her mom is sick and she meets a famous pop star and they fall in love is like so fucking YA fanfic type stuff. Yeah. That like 
it is staggering to me that that was not in the original book because I remember watching it like, oh, of course, like you see this on the page. This is every book that or every, you know, AO3 story ever written. Yeah, Stuart Bale is not a singer. Um, the stuff about Columbia, I don't think, is in the book. Uh, I, I I struggle. Like I read, I read the plot summary on Wikipedia, and my eyes just glazed over since I had no idea what the fuck this was even talking about. But no, this is again these two only names really get carried over, and like a few like incidents, like the big scene where. Uh, you know, the redhead girl is chewing out her BPD friend for saying like, you're, you're too emotional sometimes. And yes, I am abandoning you. Uh, that beat is from the patron saint of pigs, but that, that is about it. The lesbian stuff that's not there. Um, the, the swaggy Filipino guy is still there, is still there. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, but, but which one is he from? Cause he's not like from any of these stories in the actual movie. He's just kind of like passively around all three of them yeah he's sort of in the the framing story story as the as the waffle house employee yeah Yeah. he's the he's like the greek chorus of the story (laughs) (laughs) so there's another one called a cheertastic christmas miracle and uh i had like a running guessing game to see okay which one of these was written by john green like which one of these three stories and for most of it i was guessing a cheertastic christmas miracle i briefly wavered to uh what is it um the one with Stuart bale because yeah. it seemed like at the end uh they weren't going to get Stuart bale and the girl together and i was like okay that's a very john green way to end this but no they got back together so i rubber banded back to a cheertastic christmas miracle and that is fucking right that is the one that john green wrote and surprise yeah. surprise one that's where the uh that's where the swaggy filipino is from and two uh, that is the one that is the most similar to the book. It's not identical, I don't think. There's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. I think the uh, the kind of cuckolding narrative was added into the uh, you know added into the movie, but I could be wrong. I'm really just going off Wikipedia there. But uh, no, um, yeah, the the a cheertastic Christmas miracle is the John Green work and. You know, this movie does the classic um classic kind of like shitty omnibus movie thing of you have a bunch of stories and all of them on their own if they were their own movie would be the worst movie ever made, but you kind of like pile them together and you cut back and forth. You get this moment of relief every time it changes characters and you like get tricked into thinking, "Yeah, this isn't too bad, you know, whatever, whatever." Um, and the one of those that is like the least painful, and again, this is you know, it's like which limb would you like to lose the least is uh is the one that John Green wrote. So I was, you know, I was surprised. Esther and I are both making very quizzical faces right now. Well, first of all, I want to say I can't believe there was ever any doubt in your mind as to which one of these stories was the John Green one, because only one of these stories features a manic pixie dream girl who goes by a bizarre nickname, which is in every John Green thing okay. we've ever discussed. I Okay, I thought that. I thought that. I thought it for most of it. I got faked out near the end. I really did get faked out near the end. Since uh-huh. a lot of the John Greeniness does get sanded down out of this. That's but, true, because uh, they do just kind of end up together. Yeah, they do, they do just kind of end ending. up together. Yeah, very... And I, they, get up, they get together in the book, but it's a different circumstances. Like, uh, she's... Rather than this, like, uh, you know, 
dweeby guy like confessing his emotions like he does it after she gets mad at him for treating her like one of the boys which is a much more john green way to go about that (laughs) yes i love that because that's classic that is such classic 80s pastiche that we always talk about with john green is like you never saw me for my feminine side like the fucking makeover in the breakfast club yeah Yeah. it's it's hey it's Am, am I the only one who likes that scene and think it was, thinks it was good? And the Maybe one who thinks she was way more beautiful after. <laughs> Retweet if you think goths are distasteful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I, I know a few women who need that treatment. Am I right, folks? Just <laughs> <laughs> DMing it to every girl who follows me. Like, have you thought about that? This is a new look. <laughs> this yeah. look is just like the Princess Peach look she gets in the film. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you you wake up at like uh uh you know seven a.m. and you just see that like at three thirty eight a.m. Spencer just tagged like added you and like fifteen other women in a post where he's just like, hey, all of you consider this look. Yeah. <laughs> Making a um, mental note to do that later. Here's <laughs> here's what I'll say, is that I because it I, I didn't know that it was only one John Green until like two minutes before I started recording. Um, and when I first had to think about it, I very briefly thought that it might be the um, the one with our, our guy, Stuart Bale. Um, yeah. But like as soon as I remembered, oh, right, the Duke. It was like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, no, that's, Duke. that's settled. There has to be... We, there has to be someone in John Green's life who had a nickname like this, and that's why he keeps doing this. Yeah. yeah. It can't be. Uh, <laughs> like, it's very good. It's very classic John Green to go like, all right, so we've got a tomboyish character. What do we name her? Well, we, we turn to the most racist period in David Bowie's career for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was so desperate to see like a scene where the colonel from uh, Looking for Alaska was just going to, like, right after the Duke and, like, the school shooter-looking kid, like, got together. The colonel just, like, bursts in and is like, you and I have unfinished business, Duke. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, he's, like, 30 now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, no, it's... it's The reason that I thought briefly the Stuart Bale one might be the John Green one is because I just thought to myself, like, oh, that's, like, the only one where they kind of, like, remember to have a plot. Yeah. Um... Yeah, because like there is at the very least a premise to that one. There's yeah. there's like you know Esther described it as like a a fanfic premise, right? Where it's like, oh well, I have this decision to make about like do I go to Colombia or do I um you know care for my like cancer mom? Uh, but then that's all complicated by like Stuart Bale entering my life and and and, and <laughs> it's also a fanfic premise. Me. It's <laughs> a fanfic that? premise because. You know, you got to write only way you're ever going to be able to date Stuart Bale is if you write some fanfic about it. Yeah, it's it's this classic fanfic. uh, My mom sold me to One Direction. Yeah, (laughs) but there's just no fucking premise for the other two. No, like, yeah, how would you like the premise for the Duke one is just that like an awkward guy wants to get with like the kind of barely tomboyish girl and has to like get brave enough to do it. And the other one is, like, a girl wants her, like, closeted girlfriend to stop being mean to her and then also 
in an unrelated fashion, like her BPD best friend learns to be like 10% less BPD. That one's yeah. the strangest one because that one is like two completely different stories. Yeah. That is actually, that one confused me because I knew at, when we were watching it, I wanted to drop it on you <laughs> during the episode, but I knew when we were watching it that this was based on like three different short stories. And I was watching that one and I was like, wait, but there's clearly four stories going on here yeah but that one it's oh, clear and there's five stories as well because they expand on like the swaggy filipino guy that's true uh, from peter Spider-Man. parker's best friend yeah yeah um yeah. but it's it's so bizarre because like that one is so clearly half of a story each like they barely like they check in every 25 minutes with the <laughs> lesbians and then like the other girl in that story just like, i don't even know what does she do at one point she's like in a car with a weird woman and that's <laughs> That's most of her arc. Yeah, no. There's a there's a lot of people in this movie. Um and okay, we we've we've said we've kind of said this, but like let me be clear. We have been very nice to John Green stories over the past couple episodes. Mm-hmm. We found Looking for Alaska to be tolerable to even decent at points. The yeah. Fault in Our Stars, it's got a lot going for it as this type of thing goes. Paper Towns was boring and kind of dog shit, but it was pretty funny at a couple of points, and I've certainly seen worse. This is like true prime grade fucking just shit. Like after after kind of like teeing up a couple fucking softballs, like it's nice to just be able to say, no, this is garbage. Yeah. This yeah. is was, fucking garbage. I was so fucking scared that this would be a season where like every two weeks you would just clock in and be like... Well, it was it was kind of okay, and I guess that like kids need entertainment, but yeah. like it, it gives me so much joy to just be able to like talk about yeah. this fucking algorithmically generated shit. <laughs> no, kids need entertainment, but if you catch your kid watching this, uh, I'm just saying keep a flip flop close on hand. And you uh, know what? The good news is the kids don't love this one. I, I looked no. at like the letterbox reviews, and it's like it has like a two point six on there. And all of the, the reviews are just, like, kids being like, yeah, I checked this out because, like, I, I really love, like, one of the actors in it. But this is just, like, really boring. Yeah. <laughs> this is the kind of movie for people whose only exposure to movies is, like, they see one of those Facebook posts from, like, an Indian account with 5 billion subscribers that says, top Netflix movie. And it's, like, a squashed clip from the film The Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah. This is the kind of movie that if that's what you love, those pages, yeah. you're going to love this movie. This one, this is such a nondescript movie that not even Mind of Jason has reviewed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you you could put somebody's like MK Ultra activation codes like in this movie and like never worry about that like <laughs> having larger consequences. There's some there's this... some CIA agent somewhere that's like fuck, fuck when this guy when's this guy going to get around to the assassination? I, I programmed for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay Um, so let it snow is full of um uh is is very full of like actors who you for a second think are other more famous actors (laughs) and then you like go oh wait no never mind like okay so the the duke's boyfriend uh i forget what his name is is uh, jp i believe jp lapierre no, that's t- JP Lapierre is the the um athletic. Oh, that's like, like the cool. That's job. the original, like the yeah, yeah, yeah. The the everybody wants some reject, and uh, <laughs> they've got Tobin is the main guy. And Tobin. For a brief moment, I was like, oh, this is R.J. Mitty. 
It's cool. Like, I they, they... thought it was him too. I For thought that second. he was fucking yeah. lying to me about having cerebral palsy. No, this yeah. actor's name. I just I would like to say it because I just saw it. His name is Mitchell Hope, <laughs> <laughs> who I assume right. was cast by Lauren Miracle. <laughs> Damn, ten years ago we had Mitchell Hope and Lauren Miracle. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no. Uh, we also have got uh, Kiernan Shipka as the Duke. Um, uh, whose real name is Angie, and uh, she looks yeah, like. How, uh, how is that for you? How did you feel about that? Well, it wasn't quite as disorienting as the fact that she looks like uh, a trans porn star. <laughs> that one was. No, no, I, I. That I learned that I learned about when I was reading. Shout out to my friend Sally, uh, who is obsessed with both Kiernan Shipka and John Hollywood, and I did not put it together until you mentioned it last night that those two people look exactly the same. It's exactly it's the same. Like, we always say, like, oh, this no, person looks know. like... Like, no, it's exactly the same. It's no, she, like, she's one of, like, the legit actors in this, because she was um, Sally Draper in Mad Men. Yeah. And mm. she's, she's a the, real actress. She's the main character yeah. in the Sabrina the Witch TV show on the CW. So, like, mm. you know, she's, like, a, a very, like, competent TV actress... This is uh, not her best work, but like, you know, can we, can we talk? Cause Esther and I, like as fans of her for Mad Men, um, looked up like what's she been up to lately in the movie world. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, and we, we see that she is in uh, next year uh, in a movie for Amazon Prime original video called Red One that is quote, the first of a potential franchise reimagining holiday mythology through an action adventure lens, starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Chris Evans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to talk about the the the, the other movie. Do you want to talk about that one? She's in a movie right now called Wildflower, and the premise of this one is that she's a girl in high school, and both of her parents are intellectually disabled, and she's in a coma. And the thing about this movie is that when we were looking it up, I was like, holy shit, what is this? And I looked it up, and it came out as we were recording this last Friday. <laughs> and there are oh no showtimes for it in New York City. Oh, uh, <laughs> so that's this... like a, that's a perfect like one day, like one day film yeah. in like This was a like fathom a event or Times something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like a Times Square, like one day only, like John wins one hour or something they, like they that. They played this on all the screens in Times Square for one night. Yeah, and you, yeah. you learn you learn it's like um uh, uh halfway through you learn that it's like one of those like weird obsessive Christian movies where it's like <laughs> it's actually God's will that both of her parents have like intellectual disabilities. Yeah, so but we've got to talk about the man of the hour, you know, the the true star of this the true star the of real life. Star. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can't believe they got him for this. Let's yeah, no, it's a huge get. And it was um Shamik Moore, you know, it's it's really just Stuart Bale. The 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 greatest <laughs> pop star. You all yeah. know Stuart Bale. We all know Stuart Bale. We all know his great songs. Yeah. His great, like, very gentle R&B songs that are the biggest no, hits in the country. It's so <laughs> yeah. funny, because, like, this is... This the is way a... that the, the character is portrayed is so fucking inconsistent. 
Like, yeah. who the fuck is Stuart Bale supposed to be? But when we first see him, he's doing one of these songs that's like, ooh, yeah, girl. It's, like, it's like a Tyrese song. song from 2002. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but then later in the movie, when he meets the maid, like the, the love interest mother, and she's like, oh, that Stuart Bale is always grabbing his crotch on stage <laughs> <laughs> while he's singing that. I don't know. Yeah. yeah this is, he makes music that you would hear at like, the scariest gym in Philadelphia at like seven in the morning and they're playing like Luther Vandross and pretty Ricky <laughs> Isaac Hayes. And then like, you know, Stuart Bale comes on with his new tunes and all yeah. the 45 year old moms in there are just like doing hip thrusts and getting turned yeah. on by it. But uh, no, so Stuart Bale is, uh, you know, that that does have the kind of like the actual, like the real story in it. And it is, mm-hmm. uh, it is, you know, he kind of, he's the manic pixie dream boy, this like pop star who stumbles into Julie's life, whose mom is dying of what appears to be Morgellons because she just <laughs> coughs. Never explained. She, she just coughs a couple of times and then that she has the, she has like the Walter White like cough going, but she, it doesn't progress <laughs> at all. Like they forgot to put the blood there. Yeah. Um, and uh yeah so her mom's sickly but she could go to columbia university but then Stuart bale joins in to you know to light up her life yeah. a little bit and you know Han- hannah's mouth is agape at something right now i would like to wonder <laughs> what do you got hannah so okay i had known that shabik moore is uh miles morales in the spider-verse movies yeah um and it, it makes sense because like you know, he has, like, a, a, a good voice. He's, like, a, co- a very, like, competent voice actor. Um, but, like, his, scre- his like, on-screen presence is just, like, so consistently uncomfortable in the movie. And, like, I get that it's part of, like, what the character is going through. That he's, like, oh, well, I, I don't... Um, fame isn't all that it's cracked up to be. And I'm actually, like, really lonely. But, like, it's such a weird and just, like, so just stripped down zero charisma performance um and and the thing that made me just sort of like gasp out is learning that he has for the last like several years had a role in a hulu series called wu-tang an american saga (laughs) as raekwon yeah and he was in dope which is like if you've ever been to a film class is the most popular movie ever made (laughs) he's here's the thing i've only ever seen him in spider-verse like it's a really good voice performance um I assumed he was just a voice actor, honestly. He's uniquely terrible in this. And I feel you, it's the kind of bad that you what? just almost Stuart feel. What, Stuart Bale? No. <laughs> no, he's so bad. All of his, he has an amazing line where he has to, he's saying to the other, to the girl, it's like, look, I'm a person like you, I'm human. But the way he says it is so noncommittal that you have to think like, is he? The way he's like, yeah. I'm a human. I have feelings. It's like um, it's like one of those like chat GPT answers. Where it's like, <laughs> I have feelings. I have emotions. I have dreams. I have being. The, so there's a moment <laughs> later on where like you know the two are up in her room and they're talking. She's like, I'm not going to college to take care of my mom. And then Stuart is like, a Stuart Bale uh, offers. <laughs> I love like, how yeah. insistent you are on saying his whole. <laughs> Yeah, no. Stewart is only for his close friends. I am but a fan. Um, <laughs> uh, no, Stuart Bale, he says, I could get your mom a nurse and you could go to college. And for starters, like, you know, that is, I think, the most reasonable thing, I th- like, reasonable offer I think anyone has ever made. Like, yeah. I'm, like I, I'm sorry, I have a 
not to get too personal show, but my wife's mom like does need medical care. And mm-hmm. if, you know, Stuart Bale himself offered to pay for that, you know, I would be honored. I would be th- very thankful that Stuart Bale did that. But <laughs> the way she reacts in this is like, oh, so I'm a charity case now, isn't it? Yeah. It's like the most like pitched flight of histrionics I've ever seen. I'm like, the fuck? It's the classic movie character, like, poor, she's not even poor, but, like, you know, the poor movie character thing of, like, oh, my God, all of my problems revolve around the fact that I don't have any money. And then a rich character is like, well, I can give you some money. And they're like, fuck you. Why would I ever take money from you? Like, no real person would ever do that. They'd be like, oh, my God, Stuart Bale wants to just hand me money. Yeah, sure. Of course. And, like, you know, I, like, as somebody who, like, makes good money and, like, has friends who struggle, like, I... I definitely have had, like, slight difficulties at times, like, getting people to, like, accept money. But, like, it doesn't work like this, right? They'll just say, like, oh, thank you. That's a very kind offer. But, like, I really want to see if I can, like, handle this myself before I ask for anything. Yeah, no. They they don't go, well. If your friends were, like, yeah, Yeah, look at Miss Moneybags over here. No, they're just doing, like, call-out posts for me. (laughs) Call-out posts for Hannah. She has $50. Yeah, call-out posts for Hannah. She bought the uh, knife set that I bought. Uh. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No, but it's it's insane. It's, like, it's a way to think about money, like, if you have, like, just never... If you were born in, like, uh, uh, the Matrix pods for YA writers, you know? <laughs> and it's just, like, your first words are, like, enemies to lovers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you have, like, just a sticky note on your computer that's, like, stories need conflict. <laughs> um, no, so, I mean, that's the whole plot. Of course she ends up going to Columbia. Of course the mom is fine. And, of course, they get back together, you know? She, uh, she has... Stuart Bale shows up at, uh, you know, at our favorite Filipinos party. Yeah. It ends up turning out that Stuart Bale's blood actually could cure her mother's illness. (laughs) (laughs) That's why he's so lonely, because everybody just wants him for his blood. (laughs) So now we move on to the second story. Very quickly, before we move on, uh, I think Esther could see me revving up for this, (laughs) is that I I do want to compare the the choice that the girl in the Stuart Bale story faces unfavorably. Uh, to the choice uh, faced by, of course, my favorite young adult uh, character, Edward Cullen, who famously, in the Great Depression, had to choose between going off to fight... Or not in the Great Depression, in uh, 1918. Had to choose between going off to fight in World War One or uh, helping his, like, sick uh, mother, you know, survive. And uh, he turned out to be able to choose neither because he got the Spanish flu and fucking died and had to be revived by uh, Cullen... Uh, Carlisle Cullen. Yeah. Uh, so much better, obviously. Uh, read the Twilight books if you haven't heard of them. Just read them. Yeah. They're good. Please do. <laughs> Thank hey. you for putting up with that shit. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, you, all right. Um, so, <laughs> I didn't know you. You all were all in on the Twilight thing. This was a new. This is a new learning experience for me. No, uh, like that. That's that's the thing about like being friends with like me and Esther is that like you realize like every new week that like we genuinely mean it when we say like we're huge fans of like some awful trashy <laughs> shit. Oh no, that's fine. I have spent like the past uh, like month or so just like rotting my brain with zero punctuation. So I am in no. <laughs> my, gla- my glass house looks pretty good right now. <laughs> I can see right through it, and I've got a nice rock for you here. Uh, but uh, anyway, <laughs> we've got to move on to the other story, 
which is uh, <clears throat> uh, the story of the Duke and JP and uh, Tobin. And yeah. the, the premise of this one is that Tobin is in love <laughs> with the Duke. They have been childhood friends, you know, a plot, a plot you have likely seen in many uh, Japanese one-shot animations that were uh, pixelated at certain moments. <laughs> and they, he has feelings for her. And now, um, you know, he doesn't know what to do about it. He wants to act on it, but he's too scared. And then they go over to a party. And sure enough, there's J.P. LaPierre himself. Um, J.P. LaPierre kind of... sounds like uh, uh, j- just somebody's like idea in the 1990s for like, yo, what if there was a gay James Bond? <laughs> and like the movie makes like $400 million or something. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, the, it's like, three, like 3D printed jock name, basically. It's like uh, mm-hmm. Chad LaBasketball or something. <laughs> the Wikipedia page notes this character as, quote, the athletic and sexy friend of Dukes who's in college. Yeah. And he rocks because, and this is like, I think the most inspired bit in the entire movie is that they make the, you know, the cuckold athletic jock character in this movie, the nicest guy in the world who never once even makes a move on the Duke. Like there's like yeah. some chemistry there, but he, he's just like an incredibly nice guy. Well, it's <laughs> funny because it's like this whole plot line is classic, like disturbing John Green in a way because it is like kind of high school boy insecurity um, about like, oh my God, the girl I like is fucking college guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the kind of thing that only a teenage boy could possibly think was a real problem. But for some reason, this adult man <laughs> is writing about it with very real gravity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and again, it's... I'll go for it. No, so just about to say, I mean, props to whoever rewrote this. I don't know how JP works in the book. I think JP might just be their friend. But J.P. Lapierre seems like a pretty nice guy. Uh, that's a, that's a very yeah. that's a novel yeah. twist on you know the kind of athletic cuckold formula. He's not like a secret dick or like a you know a shallow asshole the whole time. Just a yeah. nice dude who wants to chill. I, I, I will say though that like I think that this is really indicative of how like the one of the real John Green fantasies is is consistently that like you don't have to do shit. You just kind of have to passively be there and like the thing that you're pining for will just like smoothly happen to you. Like, you know, the yes. the, the the goofiest example, of course, is like, um, you know, uh, uh, Miles Pudge Halter going off to the boarding school to be like, oh, I will find myself and like maybe get pussy. And then like day one, there's like a, a girl is just like, all right, honk my boob. Let's go. <laughs> um, but it's, it's the same sort of setup here where it's like, I mean what's the actual conflict here is he just has to like tell her that he's into her which is like the easiest possible version is right it's not that like you know there's uh like a possessive boyfriend who's gonna like you know make life hell for him if he tries or even a nice boyfriend who yeah yeah or even if it's like oh shit like they actually have like feelings for each other and like i don't know if i want to like intrude on that because they seem good together yeah, um, there's no conflict like my friend is a star on genderx.com. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's no conflict that the Duke just keeps saying Gooner like 50 times in every conversation. <laughs> and like I've looked it up and it just means like fans of like Arsenal and uh, like, but she never talks about soccer. So what's up with that? <laughs> um, 
there's there's like an attempt to like wedge a little bit of conflict in it because there's also these like two brothers who are like criminals that just show up at like one of these parties and they have what i can only describe as like a chase that you're like really bored driver's ed teacher like shows you and it's just like i don't want to fucking teach these kids anything let's just it's like the most put on let it made snow car chase i've What's ever up? seen it's the most bitch made car chase i've yeah. ever fucking seen in my <laughs> yeah. entire life i mean it could almost be funny because it's like two shitty like used cars that you get when you're 16 just fucking going after each other but no, yeah. it is like the limpest and saddest car chase soundtrack rather anachronistically to rock the Casbah by the clash. The, the, you know, continuing in the tradition of what the hell are these soundtracks in these movies? Most of the soundtrack in this is just like fault in our stars gar- garbage. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the stuff, it's just like terrible fake indie music that, you know, shows up in vitamin water commercials. And, uh, then occasionally there will be a needle drop that is like just plucked from, you know, the 1970s. Like very like the key almost the light motif of the movie is a Rolling Stones album cut. And there is also Rock the Casbah by The Clash. And it, they briefly hint at they're going to play Sound and Vision by David Bowie too. So there this has the most schizophrenic soundtrack yet because at least Paper Towns committed to sounding like Sounding like the backwash of the fucking 2010s. It's actually not a Rolling Stones song. It is a song that sounds a lot like I Can't Get No Satisfaction. But um, after the first couple notes, it's just slightly different. Just enough to avoid copyright. Wait. Okay, hang on. But it's from... Wait, it's not a real Rolling Stones song. I'm t- Wait, what are, you might be thinking about two different things here. What's going on? No, no. Okay, okay, no. One hundred years ago is an al- is a r- album cut from Goat's Head Soup. Okay, thank God. I I thought I was losing my mind there. You're talking about the song that plays like, when d- during the ending. Uh, Stuart I think. Bale is dancing. Yeah, where the song that has like the dun da 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 da, but it's, it has different notes after that. Yeah, no, it um no, I'm thinking of the scene that the uh the most Armenian dad in the world uh dances to with Stuart Bale. Oh yeah, that so that is, I'm looking, yeah, that is indeed a Rolling Stones song. So they could get okay, so I see. They could shell out for one hundred years ago, not the most expensive licensing, I would imagine. But I can't yeah. get no satisfaction they had to use the temp track. Yep, no, a hundred percent. <laughs> they could shell out for Rock the Casbah though, which has got to be like a six-figure fucking budget drop. Well, this was also a Netflix movie, remember? And net, net, like, money is fake over there. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, Netflix gave us like a ten million dollar budget, and it, like we we forgot to spend any of it. <laughs> Put the most expensive Clash song right in there. Other than that, uh, yeah, that's about all that story has. It's nothing. It's probably the least offensive of the three to me because. The actors are like all passable, basically, and uh, the I don't know the the there's some comedy in like the cuckold being like a decently nice guy, but it is it yeah. is very nothing. Yeah. Then I I will say the the one thing is just that like they put in so little effort, and you you know you kind of account for this usually, um, but like there's so little effort to make the Duke actually be any kind of top boy. Um, no. She's just like a completely normal girl who they like say, okay, um, let's have her wear a leather jacket and that'll do it. Yeah. Her tomboyishness is that she looks like Kirta Chipka. That's yeah. 
she has medium length hair. Yeah. And that's the tomboy affect. Then uh, there is the third and fourth-ish story, which is incomprehensible and uh, might as well be Finnegan's weight compared to the other shit in this because (laughs) it revolves around there's a redhead who works at a Waffle House and she has a friend who is extremely BPD who is freaking out because her boyfriend isn't texting her and uh, they drive and then they have a fight and then she gets out of the car and then she has to get back to the Waffle House where everyone meets up and there's... Like she meets up with a uh, like a woman whose voice I did not realize was Joan Cusack. Um, yeah, she she like she gets some life lessons from a lady that wears tinfoil, and then she goes back and she pours a milkshake on her boyfriend's friend, but that was irrational of her. And then she earns her boy her best friend's respect back after the best friend says. Uh, you're kind of acting like a bitch right now. And then also simultaneously, the redhead is a lesbian and hooked up with an Asian cheerleader. And the Asian cheerleader is kind of ghosting her, except when they're alone. And there's like some tension there. I, I It's again. Yeah, the, the lesbian stuff is like the best kind of um, the kind of queer storyline that you think died out in like 90s sitcoms where it's like you have a problem and it's that you're too much of a fucking pussy to tell people that you're gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's been like that was all over stuff in the nineties, but it definitely feels like the kind of thing that we aged out of. It's like, well, you know, people have their own reasons and you know, maybe your family won't be accepting, but this is just very straightforwardly. Like how dare you jerk me around by not coming out to everyone, you know? And she was right too, because when they have a kiss out in the parking lot, all of her, mean girl cheerleader friends or perfectly racially diverse mean girl cheerleader friends are all cheering and celebrating when they catch the kid which why wouldn't they like this you know this movie came out in 2019 like we are way past the point where a high school character should reasonably be like yeah i don't know if my friends will accept me for being gay they will yeah yeah. (laughs) we 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 fixed that yeah you know what you know what type of person doesn't get accept what type of gay person doesn't get accepted Two beautiful lesbians. <laughs> yeah, is... I, 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 I gotta say, like, as much as it is, like, a, a, a awful movie overall, like, shout out to Love, Simon for at least sort of having the self-awareness to have, like, the character just sort of realize eventually that it's like, oh, it's not actually, like, a problem for anyone that I'm gay. Like, I, I, I live in, like, a, a suburb in Connecticut and, like... Everybody here is just, like, accepting, and the worst that will ever happen to me is that, like, people make, like, two or three jokes. And it's yeah. it's it's that type of situation where it's like, oh, fuck, what's a conflict that could happen? And I just genuinely did not realize that it was supposed to be, like, a twist that the cheerleader girlfriend was closeted. Because, um, like, they, they kind of play it like that um, when they're having this, like, argument and makeup session, like, out in the snow. It's like, wait... You're still closeted? It's like, I I thought we established that, like, a long time ago. Like, yeah. It, but it's just such a threadbare fucking story that you only come back to, like, every half hour. Yeah. But, like, they don't have a chance to develop any of this shit. I will say, the cheerleaders also have the classic teen movie thing of, like, the, the actors playing the uh, hot bitchy mean girls and the actors playing, like, the shy awkward girls who get bullied by them could have exchanged roles and no one yeah. would be any the wiser. Yeah. Like, they just all look like, 
you know, generically attractive 20-somethings. Yeah. No, no difference whatsoever looks-wise. They also have the, like, mean girl thing where they, like, kind of shift what type of mean girl they are depending on what the joke calls for. Like, mm-hmm. at one point, they're going like, oh, no, she didn't. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, no, he didn't. Um, you know, yeah. and then and then later, they're like, I don't know, just kind of cunty. And then later, they're fangirling over Stuart Bale. It's a very, like, they're, they're, they're very cartoonishly uh, yeah. drawn, even for this movie. It's Painting very... with a very broad brush. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's 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 also like and I I know that this is something that Spencer loves to to harp on so maybe I'll have an ally in this discussion is um any of these like girls like if you told me that they are playing characters of the same age or ten years older than each other <laughs> that it's like yeah sure we just like put out a call for like uh, th- th- the casting call just said like girl and then like the next line is pretty question mark and then it's like yeah that's it that's all the effort we put into the casting <laughs> yeah. Uh, God. Yeah, it's a, it's a total nothing of a story. Uh, it's less nothing than the previous one, just by nature of how, like, inscrutable all the motivations are. Like, when mm-hmm. the BPD girl shows up with the pet pig at the end and gives it to the redhead, I thought the redhead was supposed to give the pig to the girl. I, I, I like, I thought it was yeah, the other way around. I, I actually got that backwards, too. I was very confused when it was the other way around at the end. Um, the, the thing that, like, I kept not having any sense of is just, like, what lessons are these characters supposed to learn? Like, what, how is any of this going to resolve? Did it resolve? Like, I, I think we were, like, ten minutes away from the end of the movie, and, like, Esther and I were just looking at each other and we're like, did they ever do anything with the lesbians plot? Like, yeah. The, did that just kind of resolve off screen? Um, but it, this did contribute the one joke that Esther and I actually laughed at, which is when um, the BPD girl gives the, the pet pig gift to the redhead girl. Um, the pig gets like loose into Waffle House party because like, of course, it ends with like a big party. Um, and the, the redhead is just like going around asking people like, have you seen a pig? Have you seen a pig? And she asks one of like the cheerleaders and she just says, um, like ever. And that, that made us laugh. It's just a very like corny little joke. But... We, we were definitely a little beaten down, I think. Yeah. Uh, by that point, so it's not the greatest <laughs> joke in the world, but it did. It was like, all right, that is a fine, perfectly fine little punchline. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, no, this, I mean, what else do you say about this? Like. <laughs> I, I, I was trying to think if there's, like, any, like, thread that was, like, amusing to me. Oh, the speaking of people in this movie who look like other, like, kind of famous people, uh, the the friend of the swaggy Filipino is this, like, kind of stonery dude, and he looks a lot like a very young um, Trevor Moore from Whitest Kids You Know. That's, mm, uh, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, I, no. I, I thought for like 10 minutes of the movie that that was the like uh, Walter White Jr. kid, but we're just like he parts his hair differently when he's at work or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's his shadow alter. Yeah. Um, no, other than that, like, what did you even really say about this? Like, it's a complete nothing movie. It, I mean, it barely reaches the 90 minute mark and it's. I don't know. It's bad. It's really bad. It's bad in the same all like young adult stuff is. It's bad in the same way like Love, Simon is. It's bad in the same way. I mean, it's not quite as racist as me and Earl and the Dying Girl, but it's bad in very similar ways. 
it's bad in the same way like all of these fucking movies are and there's not much distinct about it aside from the fact that it, you get three shitty young adult movies for the price of one yeah I, I, the one thing i would say is that i was like it's shockingly netflix like yes. it, it is shockingly it is pre-pandemic so- netflix too especially yeah yeah it is something that like would not appear on any of the other streamers just because like they at least sort of have a slight sense of like, okay, well, we have to figure out something to take Netflix on. So we can't just be like insanely haphazard with it. And even if we make stuff that's like absolute dog shit, it's absolute dog shit where you like look at it and you're like, okay, well, I can see how you thought that would have been like a big hit. But this is the most just like, oh, we have like an infinite pile of fake money. And like somebody just said, can we adopt another John Green thing? And this is a movie that got made because somebody went down a Wikipedia hole, you know? And yes. like if you go down a Wikipedia hole at Netflix, then like 10 million. They went down the Wikipedia hole for the Stuart Bale discography. And that's where they ended up. God. Um, one thing I do want to add with the little cherry on top of this is that um, try to guess what the uh, Rotten Tomatoes score for this movie was. 58. I'm going to go with 54. 81. Man. What? 81%. That? Okay. No, but it says here on Metacritic, it averaged a 51 out of 100. Yeah, okay. So that was the kicker. It's a fake. It's a Mickey Mouse uh, certified fresh. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. It's, it's from... It's from like how Rotten Tomatoes, uh, you know, it, its whole thing works where... Basically, if you give it a six out of ten or higher, it's a positive yeah. rating, and it's like all six out of tens with yeah. all the positive reviews. Yeah. This got like a certified fresh on the strength of like guys who had reviewed like four other movies that week and are just like, ah, it, this is for kids, whatever. Fuck it, six. I I, yeah. I have just I have to looking at this now, and I have to say, there is a review on Rotten Tomatoes where the quote is what a gift that for once queer women and non-binary people are invited to the holiday party and i'm sorry what you non-binary need to get people standards. bitch what non-binary people was the fil- was the was the swaggy filipino non-binary <laughs> the, the, the actor if not the character of the redhead was is non-binary okay but uh, again I, honestly you gotta make the character non-binary in that case you gotta make come on character. guys yeah no i um Okay, uh, yeah, most of these, three out of five from The Guardian. A film as festive as it is familiar. And also <laughs> surprisingly hard to resist. Awesomely high praise. Three out of five review. Um, we've got uh, another three out of five from She Likes Movies. It says, with moments of sweetness outweighing oh the God. blandness over the overall feeling of the film, the little tiny moments of comedy are welcome and actually start to make you enjoy the film despite the very obvious messages it's sending. Okay, I, I'm, realizing I now, I'm realizing now that this is what we sound like when we talk about the other John Green works. Little tiny moments of comedy is right, first of all. Second of all, what is the message? Is the message like, I love Christmas? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. This movie was fucking Christmas propaganda. I'm sick of these the, movies that tell me I have to yeah. love the snow and be happy yeah. with my loved ones. Yeah, the, the Grinch watching this and just tapping his finger or something like, all the romance stuff was fine, but they need all the Christmas in there. <laughs> Uh, the message of this movie is stream Ooh, Wonderful Lady by Stuart Bale. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, what is it? Uh, most of these reviews, this is like, 
This is like the Hall of Fame of qualified praise on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh my god. <laughs> Every single one of these reviews begins with while. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that this is kind of just like the world that we're in where it's like, what do you have to lose if you give this like a 6 out of 10? Like if, for example, it turns out that like one of these actors has like a massive stan community that, you know, is if you give this movie what it actually is, um, is just going to come after you for some shit. It's like, it's, okay. it's the most hedging your bets thing to give yeah. it a six. And if you give it a positive review, then no one will ever know because no one will watch this except for us, you sons okay. of bitches. We got, got a certified, we've got a certified old head on the Rotten Tomatoes page. We've got a certified right. old head giving it a negative review. He gave it a C rating. His name is Dennis Schwartz. Um, mm-hmm. He says, a likable cast does justice to this TG... Uh, to this cheesy teenage Xmas rom-com tale. Uh, he is... Uh, <laughs> you, you, give me that one more time. I think you might still have cured a chip gum. The brain. <laughs> <laughs> a likable cast does justice to this cheesy teenage Xmas rom-com tale. Okay, in my defense, that is a fucking horrible yeah, thing no, I have to no, say. I completely understand. <laughs> yeah, no. I... Saying that didn't sound right. Uh, <laughs> Dennis Schwartz in his Rotten Tomatoes picture looks like he's one of the dwarves from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and in his picture, it looks like he's yelling at someone. <laughs> yeah, no, he is a follower of Tibetan Buddhism, and his favorite movies are Dead Man, Botrevai, Eyes Wide Shut, 2001, The Searchers, Dybbuk, Greed, Touch of Evil, Passion of Joan of Arc, and Eyes Without a Face. So... If it's anything, fucked up that we make that we made someone made this guy watch Let It Snow. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably like sixty five years old. Yeah, <laughs> no, he just this, wants to think about like Orson Welles movies. Yeah, no, but I had the same reaction when my grandmother was at a film club, and you know they watched a bunch of like you know movies grandmothers like you know with fucking biopics and shit, and one of them was Love Simon, and I was just thinking at the time like that's a that's a crime. Don't show my grandmother Love Simon. I I don't want to see Love Simon. I'm 24 <laughs> years old and gay, and I don't want to see Love Simon. <laughs> I don't want my grandmother seeing that shit. Yeah. No. Uh. Yeah. No. This this guy rocks. He is the one of the last uh last guy spitting true facts on the Rotten Tomatoes page. <laughs> um, uh no but yeah th- this is this is great it's got one of the starkest divides i think i've ever seen between um uh rotten tomatoes actual score and like the tomato meter score where 81 yeah. percent versus average rating of 5.7 out of 10 yeah it, it is just the most like we have figured out a way to game the system and like you're going to see if this was like a theatrical release movies you would see like commercials where like um uh, the, the the entire like pull quote is just something like watch it and then it's from like you see just like it's from a twitter account called yeah. like you know cool movies too critics are saying let it snow is one to take home this christmas yeah. a present that the whole family can unwrap together let it snow is available to stream oh god no this is such a fucking uh boring movie okay it's nothing and i'm glad we even got 55 minutes out of it all right, yeah. that's going to do it. Thank you for joining us on this little mini season adventure. I think we might have one more episode in the can. I'm going to talk about it with Esther and Hannah, and I meant to do that before we recorded, but I didn't. Um, that's chill. So, you don't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah, so 
There will probably be one more episode in the can after this. There might not, but uh, I think there will. So, yeah, uh, join us next time for what will probably be the finale of the John Green mini season. And then you guys will have to, you know, be satiated by the fucking bonus episodes for a little bit until we drop season four sometime over the summer. And that one's going to be a big one. So catch you all. Bye-bye. Bye. Later.